0: Recorded live at Talks and Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Talks and Tastings Studio, this is Paul Hagen.
1: This is Berg. This is Vicker.
0: And Peter's here. Hey Pete. Welcome to the show. And the show is
1: Clerical Errors. The show that shows you what's behind the collar. So how are you doing today, Berg? Oh, just living the dream, man. <laughs> just living the dream. Vicar? I'm okay.
0: Not too long ago, had a little uh, soccer tournament. Went well.
1: Yeah, it sure did.
0: I am the, the, the coach for um, uh, the the soccer coach for the school where Pastor Berg is the pastor. So he, he, uh, he uh, I think you saw me out coaching the other day.
1: Yeah, yeah. My son and I went out to watch, so...
0: I, uh, If you wonder what kind of soccer coach I am, just listen to the bench press parables. That's pretty much how I am as a soccer coach.
1: <laughs> yep, my wife thinks you're scary, so. <laughs> she does? Th- yeah, you're pretty intimidating, so. <laughs> they need that once in a while.
0: It's good for them. <laughs> so. Wh- Peter, you were I was your soccer coach. I could be scary, but they respond to that in a good way, right? Don't you think?
2: I don't know, man. It's been a while. Uh, I think I have PTSD, probably blocked it from my memory, you
1: know? Okay. Is it better to be loved or feared? The Bullhagen way, feared. <laughs> they love to fear you. <laughs> you.
3: You want them to be afraid of how much they love you.
1: Y- yes, I like that. From The Office,
0: right? Nice. This year, my, my gag was, I, I, uh, with my hair longer, I wear a baseball cap once in a while. And so, so I told them, don't make me so angry that I have to throw my baseball cap so when someone was doing something stupid I would kind of start reaching for my hat and they would stop <laughs> I like it so
2: did something happen if you throw your cap like they have to do extra running or something
0: yeah
1: okay I'd make them do burpees because burpees are terrible I'm the now, kind did of, you
2: only have did you only have one cap or did you have like two, a couple of them like you could throw your cap and then put another one on right away
1: <laughs> no I only had one he had a yamakon underneath that one so. So yeah so uh,
0: I I uh, for example um when they're running drills or whatever or even just like walking around during practice you know they can't use their hands. Mhm. So you know I have to say this is soccer, right? You can't use your hands. So yeah they had to run for that just because they use their hands while while uh moving the ball to get their
1: drill going. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, Is that pretty hardcore?
1: You're you're a tough coach. <laughs> so speaking of being a tough coach, oh, one time. <laughs> uh, do you want to coach uh, Vicar on the text for this Sunday? Oh, you're tired of my stories, man. <laughs> Vicar, what's the text for this coming s- Sunday?
3: <laughs> the gospel reading for Trinity 18 is Matthew 22, verses 34
1: to 46. And what is the, the summary of this... Uh, Of this text.
3: Uh, Hopefully the heading actually sums up quite nicely. It says the greatest or the great commandment.
1: Uh, the, The Pharisees
3: are talking with Jesus and they question who who Christ is and who his son is, and this is when Jesus very clearly connects himself with David, quoting out of the Psalms.
1: Yes. So how would you preach this, Vicar?
2: Uh, we are recording this quite ahead of time.
3: We yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't even looked at it till all of what, an hour ago, so I have no idea. Okay. Probably, probably actually this this connection with the psalm where, where he's quoting, you know, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. And kind of the idea that here's, here's David living a good thousand years before Christ is even born. And he understands that this promised descendant of his will Not only be you know, you know, the king that's supposed to be ruling, but he's God Himself, mm hmm.
1: Very good, yeah. And uh, I, I guess when I look at this text, I see uh, the first it's a really good law gospel text mm-hmm. because there are two questions. Mm-hmm. The Pharisees ask one, and they ask, What is the great commandment in the law?
0: and and this is something that j- just came up you know, not too long ago with the Good Samaritan? Mm-hmm. The, same, the same kind
1: of question. And Jesus answers it, and he tells us, he gives us a wonderful definition of what the law is. The law is love. Uh, and we've been talking, if you've been listening to our uh, podcast here, the last few episodes, we've been talking about the distinction of law and gospel, mm-hmm. uh, and how to rightly divide the word of truth. And so here we see that uh, the law, uh, to sum it up, the, the law is love. Love toward God and love toward the neighbor; those are the two great commandments, uh, and we see those broken down in the Ten Commandments: Commandments one through three, love towards God; mm-hmm. four through ten, love Often towards the neighbor. Often referred to as the first table and the second, second table. table. Mm-hmm. So there, I mean, so if you're going to preach this text, it'd be pretty easy, right? The first part, you have the law. Jesus teaches us what the law is. The second part, Jesus teaches us what the gospel is, and He is the one who in who. Uh, begins this question. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And he teaches not only that he is David's son, but also David's Lord. And he quotes from Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Beautiful Psalm. Like you said, written by David a thousand years before uh, the birth of Christ, which shows what David's faith is. That Jesus doesn't just show up in the New Testament, but that His coming has been prophesied since the very beginning.
0: There's a kind of a parallel to this um, in Luke. You could point to the the road to Emmaus, mm-hmm. where Jesus points, walks him through the law and the prophets, and then he says how it pertains to him. so, so um, if you look at the first section. Uh, the great commandment, uh, love the law, Lord your God, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says all the, these on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And it's also then, all the law and prophets is also about the person, the man, the Savior, Jesus. So that is what really ties these two together as well. Mm-hmm. The idea that that God sent his son in love to fulfill that love. To, to love perfectly um, and which is what makes him also uh, to be able to say that he is the Lord
1: of all. He is sinless. And the one who fulfills the law in our place. What's interesting here about this text is everybody's so willing to talk about the law, but after Jesus asked them this question about the gospel, they all shut up <laughs> and they don't dare to ask him any more questions. Right. And I think that shows us something too. Uh, the law is natural to us. It's our default. Mm -hmm. It's written on our hearts um, and we can spend all day talking about the law Mm -hmm. uh, and how it works and all of this kind of stuff. But the gospel is unnatural. It is something that isn't written in our hearts. It is something that is foreign to us and it shuts us up uh, because we, we don't quite know how to handle it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this goes back to 1 Corinthians, that no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Because part of why
0: people talking about the law is they like talking the law in how it pertains to others. Uh, I think the hardest I've seen vicar laugh since we've been here is uh, um, because when people compliment a sermon, they're generally complimenting what? How nice his voice is. No, the law, <laughs> right? Usually, yes. Yeah. Right. So I, I just I think I just had just had some sort of a discussion, kind of like this. That, and uh, I was just standing there with vicar, and, and someone happened to say, uh, "Good servant pastor." I sure hope certain group of people
1: were listening. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's yeah. You know, and I've gotten the other. I've gotten that too. It's like. Uh, uh, I was talking to one of my members, and uh, her and their son moved away, and they said, "Oh yeah, you know, so and so likes to come to St. Paul's because they like to hear the law." And it's like, yeah, I, you know, I'm glad I'm preaching. It's well, yeah, you know, I know they mean it as like a compliment, and I'm, you know, and I know I like it's, that the Bible talks about loving the law. It it does, but you're right. I mean, it seems like that's, but. We shouldn't be surprised at that, because the law is natural. The law is something that we know, and it rings in our hearts. Um, so I don't. Uh, yeah, I just want that causing noise in your microphone. Yep. So, all right. So, so uh, the gospel is always the fleeting guest. The law is our constant companion.
0: But in the, in the the law. Every religion has a law. It does. It might be wrong sometimes, but it has a law. Only one religion, the true faith, has a gospel. And I use that a lot. Mm -hmm. When I'm talking about two people, one question we get a lot well, well, there's so many religions out there. How do you know Christianity, Christ? And I say, it's the only one that has the gospel. Mm -hmm. It's the only one that has this understanding. It's the only one that has uh, the salvation in a way that God has earned, that opens up in ways that teaches love that no other religion can teach love like this, like God, to love him yes. and mm-hmm. to love your neighbor from, from a heart that is changed by the love of God. Christianity is that only religion. Mm-hmm. And so the teachings itself
1: show Show that it is to me the true true religion. Yes, not that we have loved, but that He has loved us. Right, given Himself up for us. All right, so um, we have a. Uh,
0: we'll go through uh, another Walther in, in a minute, but I would like to maybe do the a top twelve list, maybe the first half of it. Okay, we can do that. Going to do a, a first half of a top twelve list that Berg has been preparing. So.
1: All right, so Peter, play the intro. Enough nonsense. It's time for
2: Pastor Burks'
1: top twelve. So, as if for some of you listeners, you know that I've gotten off Facebook, and I've been reading a lot of Eugene Peterson lately, the contemplative pastor, great book, Uh, and he's. And I've also been doing a lot of work in Ephesians too, and it's uh, given me an idea that is is he is he a modern writer? He is a modern writer still alive, actually, I think. Okay. So, uh, and he has, I've been thinking about this for a long time, but he's kind of the catalyst. He's kind of the spark plug that, you know, uh, that ignited the uh, the gasoline here. Um, That as a pastor, uh, I've been too wrapped up in modern stuff. I need to take a step back uh, and actually slow down a little bit, read... Uh, and and contemplate these things a little bit more to think about them, I think. And this is something that we all fall into because it's the air we breathe. Our culture is all about life hacks and programs and problems to be solved. But it's like uh, Marcel Prost said, life is not a problem to be solved. Uh, it's a mystery to be enjoyed. So, and I think that's, that's kind of how I want to live as a pastor, as a father, as the head of my family, and it's kind of how I want my congregation members to live, too. What what book? What's the name of the book? Uh, The name of the book is The Contemplative Pastor. And and what do you know about the author? Uh, He is a Reformed pastor. He's been a pastor now for 20, 30 years, Mm -hmm. and he uh, he writes poetry, um, and he has expressed some of these things that I've been thinking about for a long time but he kind of put he kind of put them into a into a shape it kind of took my shapeless um, thoughts about it and kind of crystallized them a little bit so, and
0: so would you say it's more of a like a pra- practice book rather than a theology or is it it's it's all
1: woven in there together uh, okay. he uses um, he uses poetry he uses uh, regular examples. He ties in uh, Sunday morning, what happens in between Sundays. Uh, he talks about uh, the bane of the busy pastor. Um, he he. It's just a, a great book. Is it something you'd recommend for seminary guys? I'd recommend it for seminary guys. I'd, I'd recommend it for pastors who have been out for a long time. I Honestly, I would recommend it even for, for laity. Uh, it gives you kind of a look behind the collar uh, from a man who's thought a lot about this and I agree with most of the stuff he says. Um, Of course, because he's reformed, you know, I would, with any book besides the Bible, you should take it with a grain of salt and judge the spirits. Um, But I have really uh, taken a lot of comfort from it. It has helped me to reevaluate uh, my life and um, some of the stuff uh, and to see how much modern society has changed me for the worse. And how maybe to get away from that, uh, and to enjoy the things that actually matter. If you have you seen the, there's a movie
0: on Netflix called, the Social Dilemma, I think it's called. I haven't seen that. No. Where, um, in the in that movie, they basically it is a uh, a movie that goes in from former executives from places like Facebook and Google. And that kind of thing where they show that there were some unintended consequences where they were making basically algorithms personalized for you so that you would get, in a sense, addicted to your phones Mm -hmm. and your computers where that was their goal, where they... They know you better than you realize, and they purposely uh, navigate your experience so that you can't live without it. Yeah, on purpose. Yeah, I. It is kind of spooky. I, if you, ha- if anyone has Netflix, now I'm
1: pushing another. <laughs> uh, yeah, which has problems of its own too.
0: Yeah, if you have that opportunity to check that out, I, I think this would flow a little bit to what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll watch that movie. I think it's it's a documentary, right? Yes. So yeah, and I just think our whole society—we're and men are particularly bad at this. We see something, we think it's a problem to solve. Somebody comes to talk to us. Uh, I don't know if you've ever done this with your wife. I can I see myself doing it. She comes and she and she complains about something, and right away you want to fix it, fix yeah. it, right? That's and. And so we try to fix things, we try to life hack things, we try to have the easy button. But this doesn't come from the Bible. This comes from our culture. The Bible talks about mysteries. The bi- And mysteries are mysterious. Yeah, you don't know. It, it's something to be imbibed. It's something not to solve, but it's something to look at and rejoice in, and sometimes even be troubled by Um, and I, I do think, because we come to the Bible with a lot of preconceptions about who Jesus is or what, and we don't actually take these mysteries and think about them. And I think that'll show up in my list a little bit more, so. All right.
0: So, so what exactly is the list then?
1: Okay. So the list is, uh, well, I got one, two, three. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So I've got this is a top nine list <laughs> of mysteries. You want to make you want to do it in two sections, or you just want to make it a
0: top nine list?
1: Um, we, we can make it. I, I think each one we can actually talk about a lot. We could talk about it a lot. So we'll see how the okay. conversation goes. We'll start off with twelve and see. Yep, and then we'll we'll end because mysteries don't fit in nice little boxes either. And you so. know the,
0: the perfect way to do this is do twelve through th- four, right? Mm-hmm. And then. Let the rest be a mystery. Yep.
1: (laughs) I like it. So, number 12. Cue cue the the, uh, X-Files music. Yes, Yes, I like it. Do that, do that. (laughs) Number 12. The mystery of the kingdom. And if we can look up Mark 4, verse 11, that would be wonderful
3: and he said to them you has been given the secret of the kingdom of god but for those outside everything is in
1: parables all right so here we see that the mystery or the secret as, as esv has translated it the mystery of the kingdom is given to the apostles uh, but the rest is is uh, is hidden from the people in parables uh, a lot of times people think that the parables are the easy ones to understand and that that's why Jesus actually gave them the parable. So if you ask somebody about a parable, well, well, what is a parable? And why did Jesus tell them? Oh, well, it's a, it's a contemporary, it's an earthly example with a heavenly meaning, and Jesus did it to explain better the kingdom of God. It's actually the opposite, right? The, the secret or the mystery of the kingdom of God is given to the apostles who ask, what, do, what in the world do these things mean? Mm-hmm. Who are struggling with it, and they're like, we don't understand. But it's the parables. The parables are the secret. They are, they are the hidden thing, and they need to be explained. They need to be drawn out. They need to be pondered and thought about. And uh, by would you, themselves, would
0: you put the say the same
1: about bench press parables? <laughs> yes, with all the breaking glass. <laughs> I like it. So, but no, that this is the this is the mystery of the kingdom of God, is that it is given. To the apostles, who ask, who strive, who want to know, but to the rest, it is in parables. It's hidden. It's a secret. Um, So as you're reading the parables, as you go and you read the parable of the sower, um, I think that's a good thing to remember, is that this mystery of the kingdom was not only given to the apostles, but also to you. And and, and what's
0: interesting then, when you have parables of the kingdom, kind of going on what you're saying is a lot of times Jesus will take things that, that actually happen in life. You don't understand why, mm-hmm. especially at that time. Do they, under, they planted a seed. Do they
1: understand how the seed actually grew? And in fact, in Mark, he says they don't actually know how it grows.
0: Or uh, Jesus talks about the wind to Nicodemus. Mm-hmm. You, it blows, you don't know where it goes or where it comes from. Or you, you think of even the, the parable of the, the prodigal son. Okay. where it takes the phenomenon of a f- phenomenon of a father's love for a son in such a way that everyone could relate to, most fathers would do. Mm-hmm. But then, when you sit back and ask yourself, now "That that's weird. Why would he do that?"
1: Yeah, you know that kind of love, or the parable of the sower. A lot of these parables uh, are kind of on the ridiculous end, right? Um, and they seem crazy to us. So not only is is the kingdom hidden within these things, but they're they're scandalous. Like why, why? And we've talked about this before in other pot in, in like other the unjust episodes. steward. Yeah, is the prime example. Just it's crazy. Or why would a farmer go out and spread seed on the road? That's that's ridiculous. Or among the weeds. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't he have prepared
0: his field better? Why would why would uh, the master of the vineyard pay all the
1: vineyard workers the same, no matter how much they worked? And this this is the mystery. This is the secret, and it is something to be thought about. It's something to be uh, something for you to roll over in your mind again. You you can't just get it. You can get it in a second, but you can spend the rest of your life thinking about it and coming to understand them even better.
0: And so, so, and the way you're using mystery is is this is there's always more in there. Always. Always more in there. So you don't just...
1: This is the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Okay. It's kind of like the church. A seven-year-old can tell you what the church is, but you can spend the rest of your life thinking about it and and, and, uh, and exploring it and, and uh, deepening your understanding of the unity that we have and how God uh, makes the, these two opposing factions, the the Jews and the Gentiles, one. Or how he sends pastors to minister to the church, to to build up the church, to perfect the saints. Um, So, number 11, the mystery of godliness. From 1 Timothy 3.16.
3: Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory.
1: All right, so this mystery of godliness is not exactly what we would expect. When we hear the word godliness, we think of piety, we think Mm -hmm. of stuff we have to do. You say, that is a godly person, right? Yes, that's how we usually use the term. But what is godliness here? It is everything what Jesus has done. You know, it, he is the one who is running the verbs here. He is the one uh, who was vindicated by the Spirit in his baptism and also at the resurrection. He is the one who has been preached to all the nations. He is the one who is seen by angels and is not only um, the angels, uh, not only seen by them, but he is also their Lord. He is far superior to the angels, having a more excellent name, as Hebrews says. Uh, he has been taken up in glory to sit at the right hand of the Father. This is godliness. He is the one who has done this. And it's not just godliness on his part, but it is also the source of our godliness. When we believe these things, then we, too, are being godly.
0: This is another reason, and I'll maybe pop these in as I go along. Another reason I've talked about earlier of what makes Christianity different than any other religion. Okay? Mm Mm-hmm. And, and this is another example. When humanity, when people make make up gods, what do
1: they look like? They look a lot like us. Right. They do. And uh, all you have to do is look at uh, oh, that R.R. R. Martin. J. What is his name? Martin, the Song of Ice and Fire. It's a book series. The well, Game of Thrones, I think, okay. is the first
0: one. I'm sorry, and I, I I I know it must drive you crazy when you use a reference, and I just
1: look at you that, like your head's on fire. That's all right. It's uh, I I could see the deer saucer eyes. <laughs> J.R.R. Martin has created all of these fictional religions for his for his world. So you've got the shepherds who worship the Great Shepherd. You've got the the nomads who ride horses. They worship the Great Stallion. Uh, you have. Uh, the uh um, the people in the North who live in this cold, dark wood infested area, they worship tree faces. You've got the people who sail the seas they they worship uh an uh, you know a sea god. And so they basically basically what he's kind of saying is like, look, wherever you live, you end up making God in your own image. And, and Mark so- Twain said something similar, right? He said, uh in the beginning, God made man in his image." And every time after that, man has returned the favor.
0: And so a God is made that makes sense to everyone, right? Mm-hmm. It makes sense that, oh, okay, this God does this, has a lot of gold. We love gold. This God will do this. Well, we're hunters. We need. We, we love that. Mm-hmm. And, and what makes Christianity so different is this, is when God actually comes to this world, it's offensive because it does not fit in to what people think God, if he were to come to this world, would look like. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't look like a baby. No. He wouldn't look like wrapped and swallowed. He would not be born in an animal stall, mm-hmm. you know, amidst the snow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he would He would uh, not be a,
1: the great victim. Yeah. Well, and even you look at how we've made Jesus in our own image where he's all pasty white and yeah, just so nice, kind of limp-wristed. If you read the Gospels, Jesus is a boss. He cleans out the temple. He calls people whitewashed tombs. He, I, he gets angry in mm-hmm. the Gospel of Mark. Uh, this is not the Jesus that people—people people want the laughing Jesus uh, playing with the kids— but this isn't the Jesus we find in the Bible. We find a, a man of sorrows, a man whose face is so dif- disfigured that has no beauty or comeliness to him. This is the Jesus we find.
0: And so—I said it again. That's what makes, the our, I think, another way of, of thing about Christianity is being the true, true God. Because if we are to make up a God for ourselves— it would not look like that.
1: Why, why would offensive. we ever do that?
0: That idea of God is offensive to us. It's not something that we would make. It's, it is different than every other religion. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. Number
1: two. The mystery of change. 1 Corinthians 15.51.
3: Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. So we shall all be changed.
1: right. We hear this at a lot of funerals. Mm-hmm. We hear this at the committal, committal. service. Yep. Uh, and it's funny because uh, I don't know if you've heard this, but with all this apocalyptic stuff going on, uh, you know, people watch you know the uh, Walking Dead and all this mm-hmm. other kinds of nonsense or they think nuclear war, we're all gonna die. And the thing is is we're not all going to die. There will actually be a last generation. There will be a generation living when Jesus comes back. And we're not just going to be living, but when Jesus comes back, we will be changed. We will be changed to be like him. And this isn't a change that's going to be gradual. In the twinkling of an eye, that passage will say later. But it'll, we'll it'll be later. in a moment. Uh, it'll be right now. It'll be instantaneous. And we will receive uh, the glory— that is hidden right now in faith. That, uh, that... Berg, I can only imagine. uh, No, you can't. (laughs) Uh, And and this is, (laughs) this is the, this is the mystery because we have that glory right now, but it's hidden. It's hidden under weakness. It's hidden. uh, We have this eternal life right now. Right now, our lives are hidden with Christ in God. We sit right now with Jesus in the heavenly places. We are right now kings and priests. And we have that promise right now that if we believe in him, we shall never die. But all of that is hidden. All of that is a secret. All of that is a mystery. And it will be revealed on the last day when Jesus returns. Have, you ever, have I ever given on the podcast my uh, new car analogy?
0: Please. I, I don't think so. So my new car analogy is this: Let's imagine for a second that uh, um, I give a ten-year-old a brand new Corvette. Mm-hmm. I used to use my children's example, but they're they all can drive Corvettes now. Well, almost all. Never mind. That's another day. <laughs> um, imagine I gave a new Corvette to a ten-year-old. Okay. And all the paperwork is signed. The title is in their name. hmm It's theirs. What's the problem? They're not old enough yet. They can't drive it. Right. It's theirs, but the fullness of what that means, they have it's not time for them to have. Mhm. Now, maybe that 10-year-old kid can enjoy the new car smell. Mhm. Can look forward to the day and uh um be you know remember that that car is mine, but the fullness of what that means, they have to wait hmm So as Christians, the kingdom of God is ours. What does right that now. mean? Right now. The title is signed in the blood of Jesus. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means the fullness of what that means. We have to wait. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, what do we do? We enjoy, and we revel in that gift. We enjoy, you know, the new car smells in a sense. We go every Sunday, remember that gift we confess our sins
1: and to push your analogy or your illustration a little bit um those who have died have turned 18 in a sense mhm um they that's why they'll rise first mhm and that's why we we rejoice with them that's why funerals are both sad and uh, joyous occasions because they have been set free and they actually are going to precede us mhm um and that is a that is a wonderful thing
0: and but that, that that reminds us then why we make worship heavenly but you know think it's about sh-
1: think about that change what it's going to be like uh, our mortal bodies will be immortal we won't have bad eyes anymore there won't be any more gray hair there won't be any diabetes or cancer or uh, any anything like that
0: although you have an interesting uh, interesting idea that i hadn't thought of before that you brought up in in one of your presentations, and that is how um, we will be perfected, but we still might bear the scars. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah. Um, in uh, uh. and part of this is is that Jesus still bears the scars of his crucifixion. So this is mm-hmm. the this is the biblical foundation for it. He tells them to to throw their fingers into his nail wounds and their hand into his side. Jesus himself still bears the wounds of the crucifixion and that's his perfected but they have been changed from torture into uh really his triumphs right into uh, trophies of victory and the early like the earlier our, our ancestors understood this this is why if you go and look at um, particular pictures of like um the the apostles or statues of them you will find them bearing uh, the weapons that martyred them, that killed them. So St. Bartholomew, for example, uh, they thought that he was skinned alive. So you see him, like in the Sistine Chapel, you see him bearing not only his own skin, but also his knife, the knives that flayed him. Hmm. And the reason for this is that faith overcomes the world. And because we die in Jesus, because we triumph, uh, those things that killed us, actually become testimonies to the grace of God, to that overcoming. And they are, in a sense, crowns.
0: A, a way of thinking about it, that's how you could understand uh, thou preparest a table for me in the presence of my enemies, mm-hmm. where the enemies are so seem so powerful, but hey, we're going to take what you do, and
1: we're going to make them into something that is glorious. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, uh, we we say that too for the uh, proper preface for uh, when we have the Lord's Supper uh, in Easter, that the serpent overcame by the tree, but by the tree of the cross, he has been overcome. So God takes a tree, which was um, our damnation, and then he turns it into our salvation. And he does the same thing with the martyrs. He does the same thing, uh, what kills us Uh, even though we are slaughtered like sheep for his sake, uh, actually shows that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And uh, that is, hopefully, this is a, a comfort, so that way you can bear your cross, you can bear your temptations. Because just look at the cross. The cross is an ancient electric chair. It's an yeah. it, it's an it's an ancient uh execution device. Well,
0: and it's and it it's now, worse than it's worse than electric chair because the electric chair is supposed to be quick and painless. Right.
1: Only this time it, it's like if you were electrocuting somebody on with low voltage for days. Right. Um but that's the thing is that now what does the cross mean? It means life. I mean, it's on first aid kits, it's on ambulances. Uh that's what it means. Christ has changed an instrument of death into the instrument of life, and he, and he, so he does the, wounds the same. The
0: wounds of Jesus then become
1: part of His glory, and it and if we are like Him, it will be the same. That's a mystery. Number nine: <laughs> the mystery of marriage. <laughs> Ephesians five thirty-two. Yes,
0: always a mystery. I will save her. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so that never goes away. <laughs>
0: no. Just when you think you understand you don't then uh...
1: ephesians 532
3: this mystery is profound and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church
1: all right so if you go back and read more of Ephesians here Saint Paul is laying out for husbands and wives uh, what marriage is supposed to look like um, and what it looks like in faith um, and it's interesting because this passage comes, We've been talking about mysteries, and really, the book of Ephesians is all about mysteries. It's all about the mystery that the Gentiles have been made co-heirs with the Jews, that Christ is our peace, that he has united Jew and Gentile together into one body, um, and that uh, he prays that they might meditate upon this mystery, uh, which, it, which surpasses all knowledge, so that, they, that way they might be filled with the fullness of God. And then after that, he talks about the unity of the church because it's only when we think about these mysteries, when we really delve into them, that there's unity in the church. It solves every schism and every heresy, and this mystery also unites us uh, in our daily vocations too. It talks about children and parents. It talks about masters and slaves, and it talks about husbands and wives. The mystery of Christ what he has done for us unites all people together in heaven and on earth. And marriage is a great way of showing this. Marriage itself is a mystery uh, because the wife should submit to her husband as the church does to Christ. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that sounds terrible uh, to a lot of people who talk about freedom. Um, Well, why should I submit? Well, it's the same reason why we submit to Jesus. Um, because he loves us and because he would do anything for us. And then the husband is supposed to love his wife as Christ loved the church, where he died for her and he purifies her and he gives everything up for her. Um, and so when, when people wrestle
0: with uh, submit, hu- wives submit to your husbands, the reason why a lot of times they have trouble with it is because if the first, if the second part doesn't happen, then it's a burden.
1: And it's slavery, then. Yeah, if if husbands,
0: if a husband is not loving his wife, as Christ loved the church, and I would say that's not just that as just isn't a, from a magnitude point of view, not in as much as Jesus, it is
1: also I believe in the same way as Jesus, Mm -hmm. loving, forgiving, and so that's the thing. If you do a life hack on this, if you just take what's written there and you don't actually go back and look. The, the life of self-sacrifice that Jesus lived, that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. A mystery. This mystery. Uh, you, uh, you're you going to look at this as foolishness. You're going to look at this as slavery. You're going to look at this as um, domination. Um, and that is not what this is at all. And and to a certain degree, this is something humanity
0: knows in th- in this way. How many the most popular songs are written about what breakups, breakups and love, right? Yeah or mystery <laughs> about it? Yeah
1: so that aspect that they understand um and that and that marriage is this self-giving this this sacrifice. I mean you actually it's getting married is a scary thing because the wife is saying, I'm gonna submit to the husband. He's going to have the final word because I trust, I have faith that he loves right. me and is going to do what's best for me and for the family.
0: That, that's why I always—one of the first things I tell a couple is that marriage is not about negotiation.
1: Mm-mm.
0: Because and, negotiation is what? Negotiation is what I'm going to get what I can out of this marriage. So if I do this, will you do this for me? Negotiation is about your own self interests, mm-hmm. but it's a mystery.
1: Your concern is not your self interest. Your concern is the, the other's other interest, and that's what's scary because it's like, okay, I can't live the way that I used to live, and for being a bachelor for so long, yeah. I mean, it, it is. It's scary because it's like everything that I do now has to be subordinated to the interests of my wife and to the interests of my family.
0: That that actually was the beauty of for my wife and I married as young as we did we went from our parents' house into your own into our own so we it was we built our our kind of life together
1: just f- without having to undo mm-hmm. and this is why it's it's only by faith that you know this mystery and can appreciate it and understand it because you have to live by faith even in your marriage that uh, that the wife is actually submitting, that the husband is actually giving and subordinating himself to the for the well-being of the for the well-being of his wife and for his family. Um, and we've seen so many cases of where that's not the case. So people get cynical and they try to set up ways to protect themselves, but this that's that's a life hack. That's not a mystery, right. So, and when you do find that, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. So.
0: All right. Uh, Segment I thought we should do. We haven't done in a while. Have you ever been on one of these segments before?
3: I'm not sure. I don't think so.
0: This is a segment where Peter and I scour the interwebs to find a news article that we just think, because one of our joys is to bother. I don't know if you know this. Like, every once in a while, I try to annoy Berg. That's one of my things I love to do the
1: most on the show one of your spiritual gifts
0: yeah <laughs> and so uh uh Peter has scoured the internet to find a news story that will bother Berg and so uh, so I take
3: it you're quite happy with the new news website that started a little bit ago
0: oh the Babylon yeah
1: the not the bee.
0: He doesn't know about that because he's not on Facebook anymore.
1: Yep. Blissfully unaware. <laughs> so.
0: So that this, this is the perfect time to See, have a news at Fathersburg because here you are trying to unplug, and then we're just throwing it back try, right in your face. Every time
1: I try to get out, they just
0: We're just we're just uh, lining up the cocaine right in front of your nose right now. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> no, listener, we don't actually do cocaine. All right. So Peter, what, what story did you f- Play the intro. There's fake news. There's real news. Then there's real news that Berg wishes was fake. It's time to hear news
3: that bothers Berg.
0: All right. What story did you find for
2: Berg? All right. So uh, remember, listeners, we're recording this a little bit in advance. So we are thinking on the uh, justice that has recently passed, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. <laughs> and uh this is gonna get him i can tell already so i found this ruth bader ginsburg's personal trainer of 20 years did push-ups in front of her casket in tribute
1: are you sure this isn't like a uh, uh a uh um wait no, uh,
0: look at that all right we're watching the video here all the way down bro oh come on go down weak those weren't even good push-ups those weren't even good push-ups now i'm angry ugh man your pecs are lacking if you're gonna do them do them right
1: that's hero lifting come on now I'm I, angry yeah I think this is a like a bench this is like the beginning of a bench press parable or whatever so I mean that was that was pretty lame Bryant Johnson the justice's longtime
2: personal trader was seen doing push-ups in front of her casket in a personal tribute to her the gesture drew a range of reactions online. Some found it odd and amusing,
1: while others were strangely touched and moved.
0: Which category are you in, Burke?
1: <laughs> I'm definitely in the odd. Uh,
0: yeah. This, I, I, this is something pastors have to be aware of, because any kind of goofy funeral fad, you know, at some
1: point, it's we uh, wind up hearing about it we We talked about this on garlic uh when we were discussing garlic a while back about just this um it, it lacks decorum it's not appropriate it's not an appropriate tribute it's not the time or the place um i while i i applaud the guy's yeah you know, I don't know, I hope he did it because he is gonna miss her. It's just a very strange thing to do. Especially, it's very incongruous because you've got four soldiers standing at attention in this beautiful place, and then you're doing really crappy push-ups. I mean... (laughs) He's a personal trainer, and he's doing those push-ups, man. So I, I just... And this is one thing, too, that... Don't get me wrong. How can you call yourself a trainer and do push ups like that?
3: I, I'm surprised none of the soldiers guarding her stopped him and said, No, no, you're doing it wrong.
0: I mean, he had, yeah, that's, he like, had that's like lesson number one. Yeah, nice camp. straight back, you know. Mm-hmm. You could have gone a little up on the, but you got, he you, almost looked like he was doing it for for on good his peck work. You got to go deep. You got to yeah. go deep for good peck work. And let's be honest. Okay. Moment of honesty. All right. I don't know how many push-ups she could do. <laughs> she
1: yeah, <doesn't> <laughs> I, I, I don't know either. I mean- With that training? Well, and so the first thing is is it, it's not appropriate. Mm-hmm. Secondly, it it's very flashy. Like this isn't, uh, like obviously this was all on camera. He should have known that. It was front of, in front of all these people. It's very, it's almost like virtue signaling. Everybody wants to- it's kind of like Facebooking. It's, it's because like, it's yeah, everybody puts their best life up there to kind of impress everybody else. It's kind of like every time that someone gets
0: upset that you don't allow them to stand up and have a few words at the funeral for the loved one, right? Uh, they the the ones that get really angry mm-hmm. are the ones you could tell it was going
1: to be all about. Them. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think at my congregation, it was before I got there, that this was the reason why eulogies finally went away for good, because some atheist got up and started talking. And, like, it was—I guess it was awful. I mean, it was before my time. I never witnessed it, but it's still— Oh, if if I would—see the look on your face would be amazing. I would get up and put an end to it. Yeah. Because it that is not appropriate. Well, and then what's the goal? What's the goal of doing push ups in front of a dead body? Because obviously your training right. didn't really it, it didn't work. It didn't... Yeah. I, it... <laughs> I yeah. mean it's... it's like
0: it's a great that's a great way to think about it. Okay, do all the push ups you want, you know. She's to she's quote like, bench press parables, bench press
1: this. <laughs> exactly. Right? You know, the the bench press of death crushed uh Justice Ginsburg. And I don't care how many push-ups you do, you can't overcome that. And so once again, it's not a it's not appropriate. It's not appropriate in how it was done and where it was done or even why it was done. Um so actually guys, so if you're thinking about tributes and stuff for for uh for your departed loved ones, it should be based in the gospel.
0: And in the odd chance at my funeral that someone wants to you know, bring out a an Olympic bench, throw on a couple of plates on each side,
1: use good form, right? Get deep. Yeah, I mean if you're you gonna get do s- deep on the pecs, man. If, if you're gonna do something wrong, I mean just do it do it right in in the wrong way, right? Yeah. So Yeah. That's well, and even
2: this guy's terrible push ups, right? The he the article has a couple tweet tweets of reactions and this one person says, Guys, RBG's trainer just did push-ups by her casket. I have never cried harder. Never?
0: Uh, Wow.
3: Cried because moved or cried because laughing?
0: I've (laughs) heard some sermons that made me cry pretty hard. Were they Vicar sermons?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Never cried. See, and this is the thing. It's all virtue signaling. It's like if you felt that way, I mean, why tell the world? It's it's all for attention. It's all like just the whole spirit of this thing is all wrong. Jesus says don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Until you get on Twitter and then in 150 characters you, you know, tell the world, you know, what kind of indigestion you had. <laughs> it's it's just a wrong spirit.
0: All right, thank you for that. I think it worked. Good job, Pete. You bother Burke.
1: I didn't think it'd be that easy.
0: He, uh, he's been trying to get away from Facebook and news that bothers him, and we just lined up the cocaine right there in front of his nose. Oh, this
1: wasn't, this wasn't even. Okay. It was, this was easy. Okay. It was silly. All right. And we can always deal with some silliness in our lives. Tap the chest, bro. (laughs) He only did, like, four of them. He's too worried about getting his suit dirty. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, thank you for listening to our show. That is a good place to end. Uh, I am Bullhagen. And I'm Berg. And I'm Vicar. And may your pushups be deep. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, on Twitter at ClericalAirs P for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalairs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Airs. See you next time.